Awesome. Sweet. We'll get up for the more time. Why not? Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Jonah chapter four. Jonah chapter four. That's where we're at. Thanks, dude. Um, here's where we're at. Jonah four. Let me kind of explain where we're at, what we're going through, what we're doing. Uh, we are finishing the book of Jonah. Maybe you've had some idea of Jonah. What is Jonah? What is this about? Jonah is essentially this man who has an extreme call from God. God says, Jonah, go to the Ninevites. That's the capital of Assyria. That at the time was basically uh, the nation Israel was at war with. These are their enemies. These are the people that want them dead. They want the Jewish people dead, the nation of Israel dead. And God says, go to them. We've talked about this. That's like God saying to a Jewish rabbi in the mid-1940s, go to Berlin and call these people to repentance, right? Like it's a, it's a death sentence. Jonah's thinking, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to go to Nineveh. They're evil, wicked people. They're our enemies. And so Jonah gets on a boat and flees to a town called Tarshish. And we show this just so you get an image of it, but it's 2,500 miles away in the other direction. So he's like, not only am I not going to go there, I'm going to go to the end, the, known, the, end of the end of the world, basically, at our time. So Jonah wants to get away as far as he can. And here's what we've talked about. Uh, basically, the book of Jonah, what it teaches us is about sin and grace. Sin is essentially running from God, and grace is God's pursuit of us. Uh, we can run from God in different ways. You can run from him in a rebellious way, kind of like the Ninevites. You can run from him in a religious way, kind of like Jonah. Basically, sin is saying, God, I want to do life my own way. I don't need you. I don't need your call, your will. I want to do it the way I want to do it. So sin is running away. Grace is God's pursuit of us. God pursues the Ninevites, who are very rebellious, wicked people. God pursues Jonah, who's a very religious person. Both need grace. We've talked about this in the series that religious people and rebellious people both need grace. Everyone needs grace. It's not just the really bad people over there, the Ninevites. They need grace. Jonah needs grace. Jonah needs the pursuit of God. And so Jonah flees from God's presence. Chapter two, we saw that he's swallowed by a whale. He has three days and three nights, or fish, a great fish, three days and three nights. And finally, after three days, he starts to just repent. And the repentance, the prayer is very interesting. Uh, It seems to be a genuine repentance, but it also seems to maybe be holding on to some hard idols. But either way, God acknowledges his repentance and he's spat out. And then Jonah chapter three, Jonah goes into Nineveh. He preaches a five word sermon, five words in Hebrew, and everyone repents. Everyone repents. Even the king repents. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, great revival. We said this last week, but it was a pathetic sermon plus a powerful God that led to repentant people. And that is our prayer every week. God uses pathetic sermon for repentance. Um, But I love this. He preaches this five-word sermon. Everyone repents. Now, here's here's where we're at today. You would think that chapter three would end with, and Jonah went home praising God and skipping because he's a part of the greatest revival. But chapter four is written. And chapter four is where Jonah's basically having this tantrum with God. Jonah's going back to really his self-righteousness. What we talked about, he's going back to his racism, maybe his xenophobia. He's just fear of this other conflicting country and that's different than him. It's crazy what Jonah goes back to. He's immediately delivered from the fish, preaches a, a sermon, and then goes back to his self-righteous spirit. So this is where we're at in Jonah chapter four. And it's one of the weirdest conclusions in any book of the Bible. The way this ends, I think you'll see is like, is that it? And that's it. So let's read and we'll look at, and really we'll even talk about the way it ends. So let's read Jonah chapter four. Let's just read this story. Jonah chapter four, verse one. Remember, everyone just repented. God relented from destruction. Jonah four, verse one, it says, but after all this repentance, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became very angry, or angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? 
Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I knew, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter, a booth, and he sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and, and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from the misery, from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm and, and so it damaged the plant and it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. <laughs> I love Jonah's exaggeration. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perish in night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock, the end. That's how it ends. It's the weirdest, like I said, it's the weirdest story, I think, and there's so much, there's so much in that ending. We'll even look and explore that. So why don't we just pray and invite the Lord to just speak to us this morning. Father, we just thank you again for this time we get to slow down, to study your word. God, we just ask that it would not be merely a Bible study, but God, that your heart for people who are far from you would become our heart. God, we ask that we would take on the mind of Christ. God, that we take on a mind of just meeting people where they're at. God, loving on people, sharing the good news of Jesus. That God, we would not be that rebellious or religious prophet. God, we just thank you. We need you to do a work in our lives. God, we needed you just to prepare our hearts for what it is you want to do and what it is you want to accomplish. And we ask all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, the reason um, we started the book of Jonah, and honestly, kind of our prayer throughout is God, stir within us a heart to, to want to share the gospel, make us into a people that um, is bro bro burdened and broken for our community. Really, our prayer has just been, God, we want to be more evangelistic. Uh, let it not be about us coming together on Sunday mornings to hear a message and then leave and, and not bring the good news with us where we go. God, give us a heart for people that are different than us. Give us a heart for people that we would just consider, I don't know if I want to go to them, talk to them, love on them. Um, really, our heart has been, even the start of 2020, is God, give us a vision um, for people who are far from you. Give us the heart that you have for people. Burden our hearts, break our hearts. Give us a mindset for these things. Um, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know how, we don't know how to do this other than pray and call upon God and say, you know, last week we talked about revival and say, God, do it again. Do it again. Um, and I think the way he does that is by waking us up that there are people around us who need the gospel by opening our eyes to needs around us. And Jonah was the person who took this to the opposite end, to an extreme, who wanted nothing to do with revival, nothing to do with people who are far from God to know him. And so we're saying, God, please let us learn from this story in this, in this moment. And why is it, why is it so difficult at times for us to share the gospel? Why are we maybe ashamed? Why do we run from that call? Uh, what is that? You know, on Friday night, we did like a little family Valentine's Day night. You know, Valentine's Day is changed when you, when you have kids. So we have like a family Valentine's Day. 
And so we have some cookies. We made some cookies and frosting, and uh, it was really sweet. We got to bring over some of our, the cookies we made, that my son made, and we brought it over to our neighbor. Um, my son loves our next-door neighbor, and he loves to talk to him and just knock at his door any time of the day. And so we bring over some cookies. We're talking to them, and then as we're walking back home, uh, we ordered some pizza for family movie night, Valentine's Day night. And as we're walking back home, right when we get home, the pizza guy pulls in our driveway, and I'm like, oh, cool, what, a, what good timing. And right when he pulls in, it just kind of threw me off. Right when he pulls in, he gets out of the car. And I'm like, hey, man. And before he could even say, hey, he goes, you watch YouTube? And I'm like, uh, I mean, like, I, ha- I have. Like, I've seen, I don't, like, watch it. Like, I don't have the YouTube. I don't know, I don't know where he was going. So I'm like, yeah, I've, I've seen YouTube. Like, I know what YouTube is. <laughs> I, don't, I know how to answer. He's like, do you watch? Like, do you subscribe to channels? I'm like, no. He's like, well, I have a channel. And you got to subscribe to it. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, how much do I owe you for the pizza? I was just like so thrown off. I don't know. Just, he was really straightforward. And I don't know why, but that conversation, like it just, I, I don't even, I don't even know. We probably paid online or we got it for free. I have no idea. Um, but I just like walked away going, man, that guy was so bold. Like he's on the job. <laughs> he's working. Like he's basically proselytizing. He's bra- basically evangelizing his YouTube channel. Um, and it's funny because he's so passionate about it. He just can't wait to tell people about it. And I was walking away, I'm like, man, God, what that guy has for his YouTube channel, give me just for you, for your gospel. Like, I need that. Like, I need that kind of spirit and mindset. It was unbelievable. And you're saying, God, how, do, how can someone be so passionate about something like that? And we miss something like the good news of Jesus, that Jesus offers eternal life and it's free. And God, like, stir within us a heart for these things. Like, I want, I want to have the same passion and drive this guy has. And so why is there a disconnect? You know, about, about 10, 11 years ago, um, there's like a very well-known video that a guy named Penn Jillette made. Penn Jillette's a ma- magician, and maybe you've heard of Penn & Teller, and maybe you've seen this video, but basically Penn Jillette talks about his experience with a Christian. One night after a show, a Christian approached him, brings him a Bible, and you can watch again the video. It's really interesting. Penn Jillette talks about how nice the guy was, how complimentary he was. He's like, he was one of the nicest people who complimented me. He didn't put me down. He just says, listen, I have a Bible for you. I'd love for you to read it. And he's like, and basically, Penn Jillette's interaction with this Christian really struck him where he just made a video kind of out of response that night. And I just want to read to you uh, some quotes from this little YouTube video. Speaking, he's right. I watch YouTube. Um, so here's what he said. <laughs> he said, I've always said... This is Pendulet, who's also an atheist, said this. He goes, I've, also, he's, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize or share what they believe or their faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward— and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me along and, and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that a truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that unbelievable that an atheist is calling out Christians and saying, you should share your faith. Now, there are many and probably most atheists that I've encountered don't want us to share our faith, but he's saying, I'd also don't, he's like, I also disagree with my atheist friends who say you shouldn't. You should. If you really believe this, if you really believe this, this must come out. This, you must share this. Now, Jonah is the exact opposite of this. Jonah is a guy that Pendulet wouldn't like. Jonah's like, I'm with you, man, like I, but in an extreme way. I'm, I don't want to tell anyone. And he really kind of tried to keep it from the Ninevites. He tried to keep, he wanted them to face destruction. And he's anger and he's bitter that they're not going to be destroyed. 
And here's the thing. I just want us to become a people. I want us to become a people that is just burdened for the gospel, burdened for a community that God, you'd stir within us a desire to go out and share in, in different capacities and be stretched and make it socially awkward at times. And it might be uncomfortable, but that is the whole point of the good news going out. So here's what we see. Here today, we're going to see Jonah. He is that prodigal prophet. He's a prodigal prophet. All right. And here's kind of his reaction. Here's what we see. Jonah's walking through some of the things uh, mentally, spiritually, theologically that he's, he's wrestling with. So here's how we're going to break up the chapter and here's how we're going to look at it. Here's the four points today, right? Number one. Uh, this is what Jonah's realizing. When God isn't who you thought he was, when God isn't who you thought he was. Number two, when God doesn't do what you want him to do. Number three, when God's mercy leaves you speechless. And number four, when it doesn't end the way you thought. Here's how we're going to walk through the text. When God isn't who you thought he was, when God doesn't do what you want him to do, and when God's mercy leaves you speechless. And lastly, when it doesn't end the way you thought it would end. So let's just walk through this, can we? Number one, uh, when God isn't who you thought he was. Can we read verse one again? And let's just kind of see what Jonah's at, where, what he's learning, what he's experiencing. Verse one again uh, from Jonah four. He says, but it displeased Jonah. So he's angry about this repentance, about this revival. It displeased him exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and, and said, ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? When you read verse one, it probably doesn't do justice, but it's literally, he's exceedingly angry. It's actually, the word is used as evil. Like he becomes evil about their evil. He becomes so angry, he literally wants to die. I mean, this is just, Jonah's a strange guy to me. If you read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is the guy who wants everyone to repent, repent and no one does. Jonah's the guy who wants no one to repent and everyone does. Like, I just, it's just the weirdest, you know, you look at Elijah, Elijah's like, kill me, God, I want to die because these pagans are out to kill me. And Jonah's like, I just want to die because pagans got saved. And, and it's just the weirdest, when you read the story and the way it ends, you're like, what is going on with Jonah? What's happening? And here's what I see the Lord do in verse four. The Lord asked Jonah a question. He goes, is it right for you to be angry? And that just like, that kind of made me stick. When I was reading this, studying this, praying over this week, I was like, that question just stuck with me. Is it right for you to be angry? You know, I want you to think about God's interaction with people. It's really interesting. When you see God interacting with people in the Bible, God asks a lot of questions. I love this about our God. God asks very basic questions. God asks questions that are kind of obvious, and it started to make me think, like, what are some questions God asked? So I wanted to go back and, like, do a little study. So I'll throw some verses up here where God asks people questions, and it's pretty obvious and pretty basic, and we'll, we'll look at why. So first thing, remember in the very beginning with Adam, Adam ate of the fruit, and then he hid and covered himself, and then God simply asked Adam, uh, where are you? <laughs> pretty basic. God asked Eve, he goes, Eve, what is this you've done? God asked Elijah when he's hiding, what are you doing here, Elijah? God asked Moses, what is, what is that in your hand? Staff, it's pretty obvious. Uh, God asked Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? He's like, you can send me. Uh, Judas, are you betraying? Jesus asked Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? He's like, yeah, I just kissed you. And, and then Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And, and here's why I'm bringing this up. God asks a lot of questions that I think sometimes are pretty basic or simple. And I think it's just to one, just simply put, just let it sink in. 
you know, I don't think it's some profound thing. I, I love what God's doing here. It's kind of what a parent does with a kid and, and who's having a tantrum. You know, again, Jonah's literally having a, a meltdown tantrum. And if you're a parent, it's not a matter of if, but when will your kid have a, a tantrum? I can remember Mike's like first big tantrum, like at Epcot in line to get in the park. You're like, ah, he's not normally like this. And then you're like, this is terrifying. And, and, and again, this happens. And what you do a lot of times is you ask questions like, do you have a right to be mad? Like, was it good for you to hit your friend in the face? No? Okay. You know, it's, it's very basic, but honestly, I want you to think about this. God is basically saying, slow down and stop. Why are you angry? What are you so angry about? God's going to ask him this question again in a different way about a plant. But he's like, why are you so angry? What is, what's going on? You know, honestly, I think even in my alone time, when I'm reading, when I'm praying, when I'm looking at the word of God, when I'm just going through life and I make a bad choice, I really feel like the way the Lord speaks to me or presses things on my heart is through questions. It's like, why did you say that? Why did you do that? I don't know. Like, did you want to do that good thing to be seen? Like, maybe. <laughs> like, I really do feel like the Lord will ask me questions sometimes that are really obvious. But again, it's just to kind of wake me up to my motives, who I am, why I'm doing what I'm doing. I want you to think about some questions maybe God has or, or is asking you. Think about some questions God has asked you or asking you currently. I love how God is gentle in this, but it's very, it's gentle, but it's very revealing. So what is something God has asked you? It's like, why are you still living with your girlfriend? What is that? Is that good? Is that wise? You know, why do you call me Lord, but not do the things that I do? Why do you say you love me, but you hate everyone? <laughs> How can you say you love God, but you hate your brother? You know, I just want to know, like, what are some questions God has expressed upon your heart? What, are, what is something the Lord is kind of speaking to? And I, I just feel like God's speaking to Jonah in a very gentle way. It's a, in a correctional way. He's actually going to give Jonah a consequence. I mean, it's beautiful what God is doing. I mean, God is so patient. I mean, think about Jonah's attitude. Like, the greatest revival took place. Jonah, like, you are the man, dude. Like, you preach a sermon. All these people get saved. And now he's complaining and whining. And I just feel like if you're God, you're like, stop it. Like, knock it off. I feel like I'd be so much more heavy-handed. I'd be like, are you, you're so immature, Jonah. Like, right? I feel like that's how I'd respond. And God's just so gentle. Like, honestly, when I say God's pursuing the rebellious Ninevites, God's also re- pursuing that rebellious prodigal prophet just with gentleness and love and kindness. And I love this about our God. That God will ask us questions that are pretty obvious, and you go, yeah, why am I doing that? Now, I want to go to this thought. When I say, when God isn't who you thought he was, because look at verse 2. I want to understand, Jonah knew God, but did Jonah really know God? You see, I think Jonah had different encounters with God. Jonah's still learning about God, but I want to read verse 2, and I want to clarify something. So look at verse 2 again. Uh, Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. What does Jonah say about God? This is what he says. He goes, I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Let me say this, guys. Please don't miss this. Jonah is right. Jonah's like, I know that you're gracious, long-suffering. You relent from doing harm. Jonah's like, I knew this about you, but I really do believe Jonah's actually being, not only is he incomplete in what he's saying about God, but he's kind of saying it out of like reluctance and bitterness. Jonah's saying, God, I know that you're merciful, gracious, and I knew that you wouldn't really punish them. Jonah's using God's attributes to justify his anger. God, I knew you're this way, and that's why I have a right to be angry. Because if you're so good and compassionate, but are, are you also just? Jonah's actually, I think, trying to use Scripture to manipulate God even. Here's what I want to point out to you really quick. This verse, what Jonah says in Jonah 4.2, is actually a partial quotation from Exodus 34. Now, Exodus 34 in Exodus 33, Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. And if you remember the story, God's like, okay, I'm going to put you in this, the cleft of a rock, and I'm going to cover you, and you're going to see me pass before you. You can't look at my front. You're going to look at my back. And God says, I'm gonna, all of my goodness is going to pass before you. That's Exodus 33. And then in Exodus 34, when God passes before Moses, here's what God says to Moses. Listen, Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord, God said this about himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, 
merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, listen, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. Let me kind of explain even that, what's happening with that. Um, this would be a confusing thing for, for Moses, for Jonah. God goes, I'm gracious, I'm long-suffering, I'm merciful, I, I'm gonna, I forgive people, and I don't by no means clear the guilty. And the question is, well, how are you both? How can you be forgiving and merciful? And how can you not clear the guilt? Like, how do you also be just? And Jonah is quoting this first part back to God. I knew you're this way. I knew you wouldn't be just. I knew you wouldn't hold this against him, even though you say you would. So Jonah's actually like misquoting. He's actually even only quoting partial verses. I think people, we can do this. I think we can use, ju- we can use verses that justify our emotions, that justify our anger. So, well, why would God, and we can actually kind of misinterpret things or misuse the Bible to skew God and tend to justify who we are and why we're so mad and why we're so angry. And here's what I want you to see, and please don't miss this even. So here's what's really happening. You understand it, in, in Jonah's context, the Ninevites were wicked, wicked people. Jonah's going, God, I don't get your love. I don't get it. I don't get how your love operates. These people have committed genocide. Historically, they, they literally wiped out people groups. They're evil. They skin people alive. They bury them in the sand. They pierce their tongue in the sand. Like, they're disgusting, evil people. I knew you wouldn't punish them. I knew you're just compassion and grace. For Jonah, what he struggled with was his goodness and kindness and compassion, compassionate side of God. He really struggled with that. Now, here we are, and let's be honest, we're not in that context Think about for us in the Western side. The West, like We live in a certain time period where, honestly, there's been no war on our soil in a very long time. We live in a time of extreme prosperity. We live in a time of extreme blessing. Our generation, honestly, doesn't struggle with this side. We struggle with the side, well, how could God ever be so just, just and just send people to hell? How could God ever do that? How could God ever judge anyone? Like, we really struggle with the opposite of Jonah. You know, people who've gone through war, I want, to, I want to, don't miss this. People have gone through just extreme, terrible, evil things. You know what they really struggle with? How could God ever forgive that person and let them into heaven? That's what they struggle with. They really struggle with the idea of like, do you know that person raped this person, murdered this family, and you're saying if they believe in Jesus, they can go to heaven? I struggle with that. That's where Jonah struggles with. We struggle with the opposite. We struggle with this idea of like, I just don't get why God doesn't let everyone into heaven. All right. Uh, one actually author said it this way, a guy who came out of bloodshed, He says, it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth uh, of the thesis that we should desire God who refuses to judge. But in a sun-scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, such an idea will invariably die. Here's what he's saying. He's like, for those of you who grew up in the suburbs and you really struggle with God being just, you really struggle with the idea of God being judging, you really struggle with the idea of God punishing people for their sin, you struggle with that. But if you've grown up in a country and nation where there's bloodshed, war, fear, terror, he's like, you really struggle with the compassion side of God. That's what you struggle with. Bottom line is this, every culture, every person struggles in some capacity with the compassionate side of God. Whether you think God is too compassionate or you think God's not compassionate enough, all of us struggle with this in some way. God offends everyone. I love that. He's like an equal party offender. Like, he's like, you know what? I'm going to offend this culture and this. I'm going to offend you. I'm going to offend this person. And all of us have to have these different wrestles and struggles with God. Maybe you think God is too compassionate. Maybe you think he's not compassionate enough. Here's what I'm trying to bring out. Um, Jonah is right now learning. God isn't maybe who he thought he was. He's learning this great conundrum. Please listen. How could God be completely loving and completely holy at the same time? How can God's goodness be, I forgive, I show mercy, and I'm going to hold people accountable for their sins? Exodus 3.4. How can he be both? The answer is not really with Jonah. It's not really with Moses. It's found in Jesus. Jesus and the cross shows you and I this idea. God can be completely just because he judged the sins of the world on his son. 
God judged his son Jesus. He judged my sin. He judged the sins of the world on Jesus. God is completely just. But God is also completely loving because obviously not only did he judge our sins, but he forgave them there. The idea for Jonah, Jonah didn't see this. Jonah thinks it's one or the other. And I'm trying to, I want you guys to follow with me. Sometimes we have extremes about God in our mind. God is either this way or that way. and We don't see the complexity of him. We don't see how it's not contradicting, but it's complementing. God is completely just, and God is completely holy, and God is completely loving, and God is completely gracious, and Jonah's learning that, and he's seeing this in this way. And, and here's what's happening in this moment. He's confronted with a God that he thought what God was like, and God is redefined. This is who I am. And so Jonah's struggling with this. Number two, it leads to this. When God doesn't do what he wants God to do. Let's read verse five. So God's not doing what he wants him to do. Jonah chapter four, verse five, it says, so Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from the misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Verse 7, but as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it, so it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, that he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. All right, let's just step back a little bit. So Jonah, uh, he, he's very angry. God's like, why are you angry? Jonah goes out of the city. He leaves the city. He builds a booth or a shelter. And what is he doing? He's staring at the city. If you look at verse five, it says it this way, till he might see what would become of the city. What does that phrase mean? He's hoping, remember what did he just preached? 40 days and then judgment. So they repented. Jonah is sitting there hoping that judgment's still coming. He wants to see what's going to happen. He's like, maybe, maybe they didn't really repent. Maybe in 40 days, God will just bring up fire and brimstone. Like he's hoping for like Sodom and Gomorrah things to kind of happen. So he builds like this little like, you know, chair. He's like relaxing and just waiting for destruction. Um, this is so ironic to me because when it says he built a shelter, it's this word for booth. Um, maybe you've heard of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, this is the same word that is used. Jonah built something he built before in the past, which was like a little booth, a little tabernacle to remember how God delivered them from Egypt. Egypt, from slavery, from bondage, from judgment, and how God delivered them into the promised land. And he's sitting this, the same thing, it's the same word. He's sitting in this little tabernacle, this little booth. It's very ironic to me because he's going, God, you've delivered our people from judgment. I build this booth. Don't deliver them from judgment. He wants mercy and grace for himself, but not for these people. So he builds this little tabernacle. He built this little booth. And then God's like gracious and gives him this plant and a plant sprouts up. And he's like, thank you, God. And then the words that are used, like he's very joyful. Like Jonah's kind of crazy. <laughs> Jonah's the guy that's like angry about people repenting and he has a plant and it's like extreme joy. That word is used for him. And then a day later, the plant withers and he's very angry. Now he wants to die. All right, he's all over the place. Um, and I want you to see this. Why would God, and I, I think that's the question we ask, why does God provide a plant and then take it away? What is this about? Listen, uh, God sent a storm. God sent a fish. God sent a plant. This is God, this is not God messing with Jonah. Um, I want you to think about the fish and the storm. All of, the, all of those acts of God were out of mercy. God sent the storm out of mercy. God sent the fish out of mercy. God sent the plant out of mercy. God is trying to reveal within Jonah his heart idols. God is trying to reveal to Jonah, um, you say you love me, you say you worship me, but then your heart clings to this. You see, here's the idea. God is not doing what Jonah wants God to do. Isn't that frustrating? Isn't it frustrating when you're like, God, I want you to do this. Why aren't you doing this? Sometimes we have that view of God. I want you to do. For Jonah, it was bring destruction, bring wrath, bring judgment, and give me my plant back. All right, so he had like, two things he wanted. All right, he wanted judgment. And remember, what is Jonah's sin issue? He's self-righteous. He's prideful. The fruit of that is he's racist. 
He wants nothing to do with the Ninevites. He's angry. Those, those are his enemies. So that is maybe the fruit of his self-righteousness. And God is exposing that again. Here's why I'm bringing this up. In chapter th- two, we thought that was dealt with. In chapter two, you look back and you go, man, this is so cool. Like Jonah's finally confessing his sin. Like Jonah's finally repenting. And yet now he's going back to the sin he once struggled with. If you follow Jesus and know Jesus and believe in Jesus, and if you've had this, you've had this moment, you say, Jesus, I love you. I believe in you. Maybe you had some big sin issues in your life. And then what happens? Years go by, months go by, and those sin issues repop back up. See, this is what's happening to Jonah. Those sin issues we thought that were dealt with repop back up. You know, this shows me that uh, you might think you've defeated something, but maybe it's not completely defeated. Jesus said it this way, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Once you think I've overcome this, I beat this, that's usually when you fall back into it. Jonah's going back into this now. I want you to see what he's really saying. Jonah wants to die because his plant died. Jonah wants to die because destruction has not happened. What does that communicate to God? Jonah says, God, I love you, but I love this idea of what you would would have done for me more. I love the idea of God, you serving Israel first, serve our nation first and everyone else second. And because you did not do that, I'm bitter and angry at you. And he wants to die. Here's what Jonah's saying. I'll put it up here this way. Um, This is what he's saying. I won't serve you, God, if you don't give me X. I won't serve you, God, if you don't fill in the blank. Fill that blank for you. What is that? God, because you did not bring destruction, I'm not going to serve you. Because you took away my plant, I want to die. I want to die because you did not give me what I wanted. You know what Jonah is saying to that? He's saying, God, this is my true God and you're not. Jonah at this moment is saying, there are some things in my life um, that are negotiable and you're one of them. He's saying, a non-negotiable for me was, I wanted destruction. You didn't bring destruction, so now I'm, I'm bitter and I'm angry. Jonah's essentially saying, God, you're, you're my God, but my functional God, the, the thing I truly serve, is this idea of maybe for him, specifically of nationalism, of that pride for his country. And that was his functional savior in God. Here is the point that you and I learned today in 2020. Um, we can say, every, every religion can say with their mouth, this is my God, but what is your functional God? But what is the thing you're living for and serving? What is the thing that brings you meaning and purpose and joy? And when that thing is taken away from you, do you feel like life is over? I just want to die. Like that reveals what your true functional God is. So look at this in your own life. You think this, if God were to do X, if God were to take away this person, this relationship, if God were to not heal my family member who's sick, then I'm out of here, God. I'm not going to serve you. Okay, then God the whole time was not your true God. That thing was your true God. What you wanted God to do, that was the thing you're living for. That was the thing you're serving. Because God did not give me that, I'm out of there. And the whole idea was, well, was God your true God to begin with? I mean, was that the person, was that, was that the thing you're living for, or was it truly God? See, Jonah is basically saying, God, now that you've taken away my plant, now that you didn't bring destruction, I just want to die. That's because that's what I wanted more than you. See, what do you do when God doesn't do what you want him to do? How do you respond? When God doesn't give you or do what you want him to do, what does that do to your heart? Do you say, okay, Lord, you give, you take away, blessed be your name. God, you know what? You've given to me, you've taken away, but I'm, I'm not living for those things anyway. I'm living for you. Or when God takes away that thing, do you go, I'm out of here. I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. This is a joke to me because that reveals then what you're truly living for. That reveals your functional heart. God. Does that make sense? Is this, is this following? This is what Jonah's revealing. So listen, Jonah's learning at this point in time, God's not who I thought he was. God's not going to do all the things I want him to do. And then Jonah's, we're going to see in verse 9 through 11, number three is when God's mercy leaves you speechless. Can we look at verse 9 through 11? What happens next? Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, it is, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. <laughs> 
But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity, pity Nineveh, the great city in which more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right and their left and much livestock, the end? This is so interesting. Here, here's what's happening. Um, by the way, this 120,000 people, it's either like a euphemism for saying there's, a, like, you know, it's truly 120,000 people who are adults and they're just, they're so lost, so far from God, they can't discern anything. Some people believe it's referring to 120,000 children, that maybe it's even more than that. It's p- upward even to maybe five, 600,000 people, but that's just children, they can't discern their left or the right. I'm not, not really sure, it's not really the point. Um, here's the point, God's like, Jonah, you care more a plant, about a plant, about an inanimate object that is here one day and gone the next day, you do about souls that are eternal. You care more about that. God is showing Jonah, I have way more compassion and mercy and you have much less. I honestly like to think, like, we probably think a lot higher of ourselves. Like, we just, why is God, why does God not intervene more? Why does God not love people more? And, and I, I want to, like, submit this idea that I think God is way more compassionate and gracious than we give him credit. And we're probably far less compassionate and gracious than we give ourselves credit. I think God's revealing to Jonah, listen, you, you worship you, your plant, like it's gone. You're sad now. You want your life to end because your plant's gone. Don't you see that? These are people. These are souls. Here's what really matters. Here's what really, truly matters. I think just God's trying to simply, and again, Jonah, Jonah is the guy that doesn't learn the easy way. God does not just speak to Jonah. God has to show Jonah. He sends a storm. He sends a fish. He sends a worm. He sends a plant. God constantly has to do things to show him things, to teach him things, and Jonah's still having a hard time learning this, and I think that you and I maybe have to learn the hard ways at times, and here's what God's trying to show him. He's like, I love these people so much. You're more heartbroken over a plant than you are about people going to hell and don't know me. What is up with that? Now, I know this might be silly. I think we can like, I was trying to think about this week for myself. And look at your life. What are you more passionate about? What burdens you? What frustrates you? What wakes you up in the morning? What, what, what saddens you? If you get sad about something, what is it? Is it a gospel-centered thing? Is it about heaven and hell and people who don't know Jesus? Is that what saddens you? Is it more like, oh, my team didn't win. I'm so sad. Like, what's the thing that excites you and what's the thing that saddens you? Because that will reveal what you care about. That will reveal probably your true God, as we talked about. Um, here's a story that I want to share that is so silly and foolish. It's even, like, ridiculous for me to share it. Um, when we moved, we moved to Deerfield, like, last year, like, we got out of the place in Deerfield. We're so excited. Since I was a kid in my mind, and this is just such a stupid story, but I'm going to share uh, Since I was a kid, I've always worn, like, an in-ground basketball hoop, right? I'm like, yes, we have, like, a driveway. I can have an in-ground basketball hoop. So we dug, like, this hole that's, like, three to four feet deep and, like, two feet wide, and we had to, like, mix cement and fill it and put rebar in it. We built this basketball hoop. We're so, I'm just so happy. I was like, oh, yes. Had it for a couple of months. I remember going on a walk one night, and I was walking home. This is a true thought. I was like, God, thank you for my basketball hoop. I love it. That was, like, a real thought. The next day, I'm not going to say who, someone who I love dearly, uh, took the church truck and backed up into the basketball hoop. And the basketball hoop was just bent. Now, if you know basketball, like when it's even off an inch, you're like, it's off a mile, right? And so it's like bent. And I'm like, <laughs> and it's funny. Honestly, it sounds so pathetic, but it's funny how much that bugged me. It's actually ridiculous. Like I look back, and I'm like, this was so, it's actually ridiculous. I'm like, that was like, I was like so moved. I was like, my hoop's, my hoop, like it's in the ground. Like I can't, I can't like fix it. I can't like bend metal. And I don't, I could not, my wife's like, why does this bother you so much? I don't, I'm like, I don't know. Like, my heart is just wicked. Like, it is just wicked. Like, it literally cares so much about, and it still bothers me. Like, I'm still working on this. This is months later. And this is one of those things where I'm going, God, why is that? Like, why does my heart care about something so pathetic, so minimal? And I miss the big picture. And I know it's a stupid example, but I mean, just think of those examples. He's mad about a plant. He's like, my plant died. I want to die. 
I want to die with my plant, <laughs> right? Like, and God's like, what? You didn't even work for that. I gave you that. What about these souls? What are these lives that are going to be separated from me, from me forever if they don't know me? Jonah, I called you to go preach them because this is way more important. And I really do think the Lord is trying to put things in perspective for us. The reason why we're going through Jonah is that God, give us perspective. Why do we care so much about our plants? Why do we care so much about those things that are here today and gone tomorrow that really don't matter? God, give me eternal perspective. God, let me be more upset that people are going to hell than upset about my basketball hoop. <laughs> what is that for you? God, let me be more upset that people don't know you than how much money I have in my retirement, than my job and not getting that promotion. Like, God, make me more upset about the eternal things than these temporary things. I really do believe God's just trying to put things in perspective for Joe. It's, it's humorous. It's silly. Honestly, this is kind of written as satire. When you, when you read the Bible, and I love when you can read the Bible in that light too. You're like, God, wow. Thank you that you have a sense of humor. I think that God even threw that last part in like, and livestock, just to like, I don't know, mess with Jonah. I just love, like, that's how I read it. But I just, it's one of those things where I go, God, why do I care about things that just don't matter? Literally the story ends. It just ends. What do you think that did to Jonah? <laughs> what do you think is just like, yeah, what, what is wrong with me? Guys, I, I really don't know how to apply this as much as I'm just begging for God's spirit to take this truth and just impart it into our lives. God, give us an eternal perspective. Let us be moved for things that you're moved for. Let us be broken for things you're broken. Why do I care so much about maybe my, fill in the blank, my American rights? And then why don't I just have a heart for people who are oppressed and lost and far from you? God, give me more of your perspective. I just honestly hope and pray that we would embrace more of God's eternal, myself included. It is pathetic what my heart gets upset about. It's absolutely pathetic. I, I want and I long and I hope that there's like, God, I'm more concerned about my neighbors and family that don't know you than, than this, than the plant that withered, than the hoop that's tilted. I, I want to care more about those things. Here's the last thing I want us to look, la- look at. Number four is this, and this is why I think it's important. When it doesn't end the way you thought. This is one of those books where it does not end the way I thought. No one, I think some, I've heard people preach Jonah as like a hero. I just, it's very hard for me to preach Jonah as a hero. Um, I think there is a true greater than Jonah that's the hero. But it, doesn't not, it does not end the way you think. You read the story and it's like, the end. Did Jonah repent? No. Did he learn his lesson? I don't know. And it's just one of the weirdest stories. You know, Jonah is truly that prodigal prophet where just like God's like, Jonah, what's wrong with you, man? And it just kind of ends that way. Here's what I want to point out. And please, can I actually get your full attention on this? Because this is truly a beautiful thing. There is a book uh, called The Prodigal Prophet. Um, There are many commentators that actually wrote about Jonah in light of Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal son. So stay with me really quick. Jonah, the story of Jonah reflects greatly and in detail the parable Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. So let me just kind of catch up to speed. In Luke chapter 15, maybe you've heard of the prodigal son story, right? The prodigal son story is not about the prodigal son. It's about the prodigal sons. So let me just kind of, if you want to go back and read this, you can. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus is with tax collectors and sinners, the prodigal son, and he's also with scribes and Pharisees, that self-righteous older brother. The, self, the, the, the Pharisees go, I can't believe Jesus is eating a meal with tax collectors and sinners. And it says after that, and Jesus gave them a parable. And he walks through a couple of parables. And then the third parable is about the prodigal son. So the story of the prodigal son, you might know it. There's a father who's extremely wealthy. One son, the younger son, says, Father, give me my inheritance, which is incredibly rude. And disres- it's not even rude. It's just completely disrespectful. It's saying, I wish you were dead. I just want your stuff. The father and in a mind-blowing thing, when you read the story, he goes, okay, here's your inheritance. The prodigal, you know, he goes out to a far country. He just lives, and it's just as prodigally, like he's probably spending the money on let your mind just go wherever it might go. He spends on everything and anything. 
He ends up losing and spending his entire inheritance. He ends up working for a guy, working with pigs. He's a Jewish guy working with pigs. It's not good. It's not kosher. And then he's like, what am I doing? He, he really comes to the end of himself, and he goes, what am I doing? I could be in my father's house where there's prosperity, but here I am with pigs. And he goes, maybe, maybe if I repent, my dad will let me back in. And he, he starts rehearsing the speech in his mind, and you can get it, go read the parable. He's rehearsing the speech to give to his father. As soon as he's walking in the distance, his father sees him. You remember, his father sprints and runs to him, and that is like a Jewish thing that you do. The father does not run. The father does not lift up his garment and run to his son, but you see the father run. It says he falls on him, and he kisses him repeatedly. And the father embraces him, and he's kissing him. He's like, son, you're home, you're home, you're home. And he says, get the fatted calf. Like, bring out the good animal. Give him my ring. Give him my robe. Clothe him in my, my robe. Clothe him in my righteousness. Bring out everything. And it's an amazing story, but what, how does the story end? There's that older brother who's working, and he's working really hard, and he's probably working re- reluctantly. And he's like, what's going on? Why are we throwing a party? And he goes, well, your brother's home, and your father wants to throw an extravagant party. And remember, the, the self-righteous older brother is so furious, he won't go in the party. He's outside of the party. They're celebrating. And now, that, how disrespectful is that? Even in that culture, in that time period, your father's son a party. You're not going in. You're the older son. I mean, you should, you should definitely be a part of this. So the father, what does he do? He goes out to also that religious son, the self-righteous. He leaves the party. He goes to the son. He goes, son. He goes, your brother's lost and is found. Come, come celebrate. And he does not. And let's just read Luke 15, 31. I'll throw the verse up. The father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and is lost and is found. And listen to this. That's the end. The end of the story in Luke 15 is your brother was lost and is found. He's dead and he's alive. He's alive. And the story ends just like it ends with Jonah. And we don't know what happens. Does the older brother go, oh my gosh, dad, you're right. I, I should go back in the party and celebrate. I can't believe he's so spoiled and selfish. Like, what is he? We don't know. See, here's what I want to point out in this story. And this was life-changing for me reading this. It's also a book called The Prodigal God. I would highly recommend it. And here's the idea. The younger brother basically says, Dad, I don't love you. I just want your stuff. The older brother says, Dad, I don't love you either. I'm just going to work for your stuff. I'm going to try to be good and obey and follow you. Both didn't really love their father. Both tried to use their father in different ways. One in a rebellious way, one in a religious way. Remember, Jesus gave the parable in response to the Pharisees being mad that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. That story is more about the older brother than it is the prodigal. Really, it's the story of the prodigal sons. Both sons were lost. Both sons didn't love the father. Both wanted to use the father in their own way. Both needed grace. Both needed repentance. One son, the rebellious and repented, not the religious person. The religious person didn't repent. And so here's why I'm bringing this up today. Jonah's both. I want you to see this. Guys who study this book a lot longer than me, Many people all realize, go, oh my gosh, the book of Jonah, he's the first prodigal son story. He's literally in Jonah chapter one, that rebellious, I'm going to leave my father, run away, do my own thing. God pursues him, pursues him. He repents in the fish. And then in chapter three and four, he's that reluctant brother who's serving, who's serving and working in the field. He's the reluctant one, I'll go, but it's reluctantly. Then when people actually repent, He's like, I'm not going to go in and celebrate with him. I'm going to be over here by myself. And what happens? Both time the dad, both times the father goes to him. He meets him where he's at. And I just want you to see that the story of Jonah and the story of the prodigal sons is so similar. It's unbelievable. And, here, and here's the point. Both brothers needed to repent. Both brothers needed grace. Both sons were trying to use their dad in their own way. And this is Jonah. Jonah has been the rebellious and he's also been the religious. And I'm bringing this up because I've been both. Maybe you've been both. Maybe at different points in your life, you've been that religious person. I'll try to work for God's love. Maybe you've been that rebellious person. I don't want anything to do with God. I'll do my life my own way, and it's miserable as well. 
And here's the idea. Again, both sons don't love their dad. Both sons try to use their dad. And I love the conclusion of this. Listen, in the prodigal son story, those are the two sons. There's a third son in the prodigal son story. Who's the third son? The third son is the son who's telling the story. The third son is Jesus, the son of God, who's telling the story of the prodigal son, saying, you don't have to be like either. There's a third option. That's me, knowing me, believing me. I'm your righteousness. Be robed in my righteousness. That you don't have to be rebellious, religious. You can actually go, I'm going to pursue the son, the one who told the story. I'm going to look to him. See, Jonah, he is that less than Jesus. Jesus is called the greater than Jonah. Jesus comes on the scene and says, remember Jonah? I'm the greater than Jonah. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. I will spend three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Jesus is the one who comes on the scene and says, Jonah preached reluctantly and people repented. I'm actually going to give my life so all could come to repentance. Jesus is the greater than Jonah. I love how Warren Wearsby says this. We'll throw the verses up here. He says, Jonah almost died for his own sins, but Jesus willingly died for the sins of the world. Jonah's ministry was to but one city, but Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jonah's obedience was not from the heart, but Jesus always did whatever pleased his father. Jonah didn't love the people he came to save, but Jesus had compassion for sinners and proved his love by dying for them on the cross. Here's what he goes on to say. On the cross, outside the city, Jesus asked God to forgive those who killed him. Remember, Jesus was crucified outside the city. But Jonah waited outside the city to see if God would kill those who he would not forgive. Yes, Jesus is the greater than Jonah. And because he is, we must give greater heed to what he says to us. Those who reject him will face greater judgment because the greater the light, the greater the responsibility. Jesus is that greater than Jonah. You see, this story is supposed to do something to us. We go, well, Jonah, what happened? Did you go back in? Did you kind of wake up and say, what's wrong with me? We really don't know, but let me just point this out. Who, who's telling the story? Who tells the story? How would anyone know about the story of the f- him being in a fish? How would anyone know about this dialogue and the plants? Who's telling the story? My hope and my, I submit to you that I think Jonah did actually wake up. I mean, Jonah did kind of go, oh my gosh, I need to tell the story. I'm a fool. I, I almost love that he, almost doesn't even, he leaves out the conclusion because it's like, well, what are you going to do? Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you've been rebellious to God. Maybe you've been religious towards God. What are you going to do? Are you going to go back in and celebrate? Are you going to make the older brother? We don't know what he does in Luke 15. Does he go back in and celebrate? I think Jesus leaves things and the Bible leaves things with a cliffhanger for this reason. What are you going to do? There's a cliffhanger here in Jonah. There's a cliffhanger there in Luke 15. How are you going to respond? What are you going to do? You tracking with me? I think God kind of leaves this door open. Like, come on. How do you respond? Are you going to be bitter? Or are you, you going to come in? and celebrate the fact that we serve an incredibly gracious God who pursues and seeks and saves the lost. Amen? Isn't that incredible? Here's what, here's what we're going to do. We are done with the book of Jonah, and, and it's kind of foolish for us to be like, at the end, um, I want to pray now. I, wanna, I really do want to pray specifically. Here's what we're going to do today. It's a little different. We're going to close our time with some worship. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up. We're going to worship. We're going to praise God. But we're actually going to put some things up here on the screen, which we'll do right now, just some things for us to pray over. So as we worship, I want you to see this in the very beginning. We're going to pray over for us evangelism opportunities and just ways we can engage with our community. And did you see them here? Here's our prayer, honestly. First thing is this, um, God grows in personal evangelism. That's the whole point of this book. Uh, there's something, we're starting these beach workouts on the beach where we're trying to reach people. Uh, that's going to happen this Saturday. It's every other week. If you'd like to be a part of that, we'd love for you to join. Uh, hopefully very soon we're in the process of getting a booth at FAU where we can meet just college students and uh, love on them and share the gospel with them. Uh, the extravaganza, as you know, is coming up where we want to just meet with people in our community and love on them and serve them and share the gospel with them. And Easter, the whole point is to get them here, come here, hear about the death and resurrection of Jesus and experience the goodness of God in this way. 
We want to pray over different city events we do. We partner with the city, as you guys know, for different events and just pray over those events. Um, we're asking our groups to participate, whether it's in city outreaches or ministry partners or just their own outreach, and just pray for groups and it comes outreach. And then there's ministry partnerships. I want to pray for the school. Um, we want to pray for four kids, Compassion, Firewall, different ministries we're partnering with practically, financially, and we ask that you start praying over these things with us. So we're going to have this list up here because this is us and God stir our hearts and what it is you're doing. How we can, can we be on, bo- on board with it? And how can we develop a heart for people? So I'm going to try to make things a little bit uncomfortable. Jonah's issue was comfort. God's like, leave. He's like, I don't want to. Uh, God's like, go preach the gospel. Uh, Jonah's issue was comfort. So make things a little uncomfortable. We're going to ask that you guys get with some random people next to you and pray in groups of three or four. Everyone does not need to pray, but if you would get with three or four people around you during worship, and I just have one, maybe two of you pray over one of these items here. All right, so I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come up. They're going to play worship. We're going to sing to Jesus. You guys are going to be here getting groups of three or four and saying, let's pray over these things. Let's pray that God stirs our heart for evangelism, that God brings a harvest for Easter. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray. Then you're going to pray. The church prays. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we thank you so much for the story of Jonah. We thank you for the truth that this just reveals to us. We, We care about things that are so petty versus eternal and weighty things. God, please just be here. Please speak. Please move as we pray over these things, Jesus. We also ask that you would lead and guide our prayer. God, we ask that, um, Jesus, you would lead us to pray for individuals by name specifically, for outreaches, God, by name, that, God, we would just see you move and work in South Florida. God, that your will would be done in South Florida as it is in heaven. We ask all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So listen, find someone around you. We're going to be worshiping. Not all of you need to pray, but get with three or four people. One or two of you pray.